you're listening to the You Can't Fix What You Can't See podcast, hosted by author and consultant Karen Cornwell. Here we share real success stories from companies striving to become more gender savvy to drive innovation, growth, and engagement for all. We are here today interviewing folks from Intuit. And today I have Lori Siegerman on the phone. She's a global diversity and inclusion leader at Intuit and has been at the company for an astounding 22 years and appears to be totally, totally thrilled with it. Lori, Intuit has a very interesting inclusive leadership model. Do you want to talk about what that is and how it was created and how it works with the audience? Sure. Thanks for having me on your podcast today, Karen. Really glad to be here and share some of the stories that um, we're having at Intuit. Genesis of our Leading Inclusively model was a couple of years ago, we partnered with Deloitte and we did a maturity assessment of our DNI program. And we actually did not score very well. We got a two out of five on their maturity assessment. And one of the biggest recommendations they came back to us with was we really need to define what inclusive leadership means to Intuit and cascade those efforts across Intuit. So we consulted with industry experts to create an inclusive leadership model to help our people managers understand what it means to be an inclusive leader and provide practical examples to help them be successful. So today we do that through workshops and e-learning courses, but it's a really, it's a simple four-part model that focuses on objectivity, belonging, voice, and growth. And just digging into each one of those areas briefly, objectivity is how we make fair data-backed decisions and communicate those to employees. So that includes, you know, do we have clear criteria for hiring? rubrics to say, how do you get this role? How do you advance in your career and measure our outcomes to that? For belonging, it's about creating an environment where employees feel valued and respected and can bring their authentic selves to work. We have 11 employee resource groups that play a critical role in this space and helping employees feel like they belong and into it. The element of voice is about creating the environment where everyone has the opportunity to have their voice heard. It includes helping leaders be effective meeting facilitators, making sure they're drawing out all the voices in the room. It also talks about our allyship and how can you speak out on behalf of your peers. And we've had several of our employee resource groups create ally programs to help teach people how to be better allies. And the final element is that growth and how do we help employees learn and identify opportunities to grow, starting with professional development, having conversations, making it comfortable for employees to tell their stories and tell managers that they want to grow and not hide that and look for other jobs behind their manager's back, but how can their manager partner with them to help them grow? And we've implemented many, many um, best practices around having regular one-on-ones. We have um, what we call a monthly check-in process where the manager and the employee is meeting once a month to have performance conversations. So we moved away from an annual performance management system or a mid-year and annual. And every month, employees are having open, candid conversations with their managers um, about their career. So as I mentioned, we have workshops, we have training to teach this four-part model. We launched our workshops for all of our people and functional managers back in April 2019. Got great response, measure our net promoter score for the workshops. 
land, our net promoter score has consistently been above 70 for the in-person workshops. They started as in-person, you know, due to COVID, as with everything, they shifted. It used to be a live workshop that we would offer in all of our sites globally. And then we shifted during COVID is now a, a two-hour virtual workshop but still live facilitated through Zoom. And then just a month ago, we launched an e-learning, a 25-minute e-learning for all employees that distills those four four-part model and teaches all employees how to create an inclusive environment and be a part of an uh, inclusive environment. Wow, that is a lot of work. And I am amazed you've been able to get such a high net promoter score on these kinds of classes, which often, you know, employees, when they're asked to take these or told they have to take them, that immediately makes them not want to take them, right? So how do you get people to go? That's a a great question. We actually just had a conversation about this internal, do we make it mandatory? Do we not? Right now it's not mandatory. We're just promoting it throughout the organization. And we have gotten just word of mouth feedback. So I mentioned our net promoter score was over 70 for the workshop. The e-learning came out of the gates even higher. We're at 81 for a net promoter score for that. And the biggest feedback we get, because we ask for feedback at the end of the e-learning, the biggest feedback we get from people is, wow, every person at the company should be required to take this class. This was so great. It was so helpful to me. So just that word of mouth is, is spreading and people really want to take it. And you probably hear this all the time, Karen, you know, everyone comes to us and says, we need unconscious bias training. We need, you know, it's the buzzword. Everyone wants unconscious bias training, not even realizing what unconscious bias training is. So anytime, you know, people come to us or say, we're going to go outside and we're going to find a vendor that can teach us unconscious bias, we direct them to some, if they don't know about it, we direct them to this leading inclusively training first. And, you know, 99.9% of the time they say, yep, that was exactly what I needed. So it's really just, you know, word of mouth, good, you know, they're getting value of it, out of it and learning from it. So they, they want to take it. Well, that is really awesome. It was looking at your data, finding out where you were that said, we have to do something different. And then you yeah. put, you guys put together the, the program and have rolled those out and it, it's pretty new. So people right. are still getting used to it. You know, everything that I have heard, by the way, says under absolutely no circumstances should you make it required training because it, yep, will, it exactly. will instantly a turn great, everyone off. Yeah, there's a great Harvard Business Review article out there that talks about why diversity um, training, why diversity efforts fail. And the biggest thing is mandatory training. People don't want to be told what to believe or how to act. So by forcing it, it actually backfires on you. Yes. And um, yeah, so that's, that's our, our response anytime someone says, make it mandatory. So there is nothing, there is no law against bearing beautiful nuggets inside that employees start talking about with each other. So some of them just, well, I'm going to have to take this training to figure out what you're talking about. And yeah. that's, um, that I highly recommend that because that's really, it's really uh, yeah. helpful because then people want to, I'm, I'm looking for those nuggets, right? Yeah. We also, um, our next step is going to be to target managers who may be struggling, we measure belonging, add into it. And our next step is going to look at the teams that are struggling and score lower on their belonging score. Can and you, then make, can you yeah. talk a minute about belonging scores? That's a new one. It's yeah, so very we, intriguing. So talk we, a little bit about that. Yeah. So I'm sure a lot of companies do employee surveys. We, we do as well. Three times a year, we do um, what we call our engagement survey. 
And one of the questions is, I feel like I belong at Intuit. And that's our belonging score. So we've been measuring that for a few years now, our belonging score. Our results have been great, you know, high 80s for belonging score. And actually, no difference. We look at it by men, women, ethnicity, and our belonging score is 82 for men and women. Our engagement is actually higher. We look at belonging and engagement. Our engagement is 84 for women and 82 for men. So our You know, that's absolutely phenomenal. Most companies have 20%, 25% on, on those numbers. So that is astounding. I'm sorry. I yeah, you keep that's going. okay. That's, ex- that's our regular engagement survey. You know, as we've discussed into a tr- strives to provide a safe, ethical, diverse, and inclusive environment for all employees and where they see an equal opportunity to grow and advance. So as we've continued to make investments in the DEI space, including data transparency, we've actually identified the need for DNI specific surveys. So in addition, we're now going to do our, our regular engagement survey twice a year. And then once a year, we're going to do a very specific DNI survey. And there's really three main objectives with this survey, and it's a confidential survey as are others. You know, we want to get a baseline of the current state of DEI add into it, understand, you know, belonging, safety, inclusion, and how it changes over time, given, you know, it tells us where we can invest our resources. We also want to understand the variation in employee experiences across our teams, identify best practices and where to make improvements, and then transparency. So we want all of our employees to know how we're doing. And, you know, teams shouldn't have to guess the current state of inclusion and belonging. We actually piloted, we started, we did a, a small pilot of a specific DNI survey with one of our business units in February of 2019. We got some great results that actually helped us make some changes. So that survey came back and said we had two problem areas. One was allyship and the other was promotion practices. So that's where we started looking at, you know, do we have those clear rubrics that I mentioned earlier in place for each role? What does it take to get promoted? What's the promotion criteria? What is our nominating process? So there was a self-nomination process, but we found, as you probably know already, women were not putting themselves up for the promotion as much as men were. So we made some changes. It really allowed us to dig in and make some changes to our promotion processes, allyship programs, and then teaching people how to be allies, speak up, you know, speak up for someone when a woman's being interrupted in the room. What do you say? How do you, how do you speak up for them? That can so, be really hard, but if you, yeah. if you practice role modeling that people can pick it up, right? I think mm-hmm. we got a lot from uh, Kamala Harris, mm-hmm. right? I'm speaking Yes, that's, love I, that. I, I think we'll hear that a lot more, but it's right. a it's a great way to to interrupt what's happening and make a point and move on, right? Yeah. And, and people, if you keep hearing it, they change their behavior. Right, right. I, side note, but I was just in a meeting where someone, you know, someone just basically got mansplained, and it was a man who got mansplained, and he said he pinged me, and he said, "Didn't I just say that?" I said. Yeah, that's you just got mansplained. He said, "Oh, that's what it feels like. I don't like that." <laughs> <laughs> well, it's good, right? It's good because sometimes yeah. you don't. Um, as women, I yeah. think we we heard it a lot more often yeah. than we care to. But yeah. it isn't often. I think that men get to hear it, so it's it's part of the. Oh, well, no wonder yeah. you don't like that. It doesn't feel yeah. good. Yeah. So just to close out on the the survey, so that pilot was successful, and now we're going to be launching a survey to all employees. Uh, January in middle of January, we're going to be doing our first company wide 
DEI specific survey. And we're gonna, tying back to our leading inclusively model, all of our questions will tie to objectivity, belonging, voice, and growth to see how we're doing in those areas. And then we can go in and diagnose, again, where are, where are our outstanding leaders and what are they doing and let's get their best practices and understand. And then where are our leaders who are struggling and how can we go and help them, whether it's through this leading inclusively training or other targeted interventions to really go in and diagnose and understand what the root cause of the problem is so we can help them get even better. And it could be that that some people who are not quite getting it right need a coach. Yeah right, or need some one-on-one, right, to actually help them work through some things so that they can, so that they can see a different way to go about getting people to get their work done and be happy about it, right? That's the, that, that, those two together are what seems to be the crunch part, right? Right. Wow, that's, that's an awful lot of work to go through, and it seems like it's paying off. I think going down into the, the four areas that you've got is really going to yeah. be amazing when you get that data to see, you know, how are we really doing in all those areas. That could really lead to some specific changes that you can make fairly quickly, I would say. Yeah. Yes. Agree. And then, you know, going back to the transparency, whatever our results are, we believe in sharing with the entire company. So every employee will get to see how did we do in the survey. And if people feel they're taking a survey and nothing's being done about it, they're not going to take future surveys. We typically average over 90% participation rate as a company with all of our surveys because we do, um, we're transparent, we share the data at the highest levels, we share them in the teams, we have action planning meetings to talk about how did we do, where do we have opportunities, how can we do better, so we do take it seriously and we share it broadly and we believe in um, a culture of transparency and trust. So we actually have a DEI dashboard, all 10,000 plus employees can access any time and view gender, ethnicity, data for the whole company and see where we're doing, how, where we're making improvements and where we still have work to do. I was absolutely astounded by the way that that data was available to me as a non-intuit person, right? Yeah. And I could just go to your website and pull out that data. So that was, that was pretty amazing. That's really transparent compared a lot of companies might take the data and share it internally but mm-hmm. they're not sharing it externally necessarily right. so it's, i'm it's sure you saw we have a pay equity analysis out there that you can see you know in the u.s and in india how much women are paid compared to men we do that annually and publish it externally as well and i i i thought that was totally amazing because i believe the the difference between the men and the women's salaries are something on the order of pennies a penny yeah. right or, yeah. or less or zero right and i, I was very impressed with that because that takes a lot of gumption to even start yeah. that work right it's like if we look and we find something then what are we going to do right what are we going to do about yeah. it and you have to be willing to swallow that whole pill And we have made adjustments. So when we do that analysis, and that's the other thing with transparency, not only do we publish it externally, but our CHRO sends an email to the entire company saying we did our analysis. As a result, 60 people had their salaries adjusted and, you know, talking about what we did as a result of finding out what the data was. 
Yeah, and um, our most recent survey showed in the U.S. women women earn on average 99.4 cents for every dollar men earn. So we're not quite at par- at equity yet, but yeah, like you say, it's it's pennies. So yeah, but that's a lot closer than the 70 or 80 cents, right? Yeah, there, a lot of companies. So that's that's really yeah. amazing. I was astounded by that. I think you also mentioned, Lori, that because of COVID, right? And uh, like our whole lives have all been flipped upside down because of that, that you have some programs for kind of targeted at working parents, yeah, working parents and working moms, because it's been so hard for them when you got kids at school and you're trying to be in an online meeting and, Mm -hmm. you know, you've got a kid that's not wanting to sit in front of the computer or that would like to sit in front of the computer, but they want to play games, not do their work. Can you tell us a little bit about that program? I'd love to talk about this. It's near and dear to my heart. I am a working mom as well. I have two teenage boys. So, you know, when we, when we started to build empathy for our working parents, especially our working mothers during COVID, um, the first thing we realized is not all working parents are created equally. So my, my, sophomore and senior in high school sit in their room all day, they self-manage, they're on the computer, they don't need a lot of my time. But those who have toddlers or, um, you know, younger school-age children who are needing help even getting into their Zoom calls or, you know, learning your ABCs over the internet is much more difficult. So not, you know, that was the first thing we realized is we have kind of segments of working parents and some are having a harder time. We also talked to our working parents and working moms with who had children with special needs and abilities and you know that was a different segment as well and their struggles were were exacerbated by covid and not having access to their regular resources their therapists their teachers their nannies so yeah it's a real problem and and uh, recent data i read shows that 865,000 women left the U.S. workforce in September alone, which is four times as many as men. The amazing thing is we are not seeing that trend add into it. Our voluntary attrition has actually not increased since COVID. We're actually down slightly year over year. When we look at our Q1 from this year to Q1 from last year, we're down 0.6 points for our voluntary attrition in women. And I think a lot of that is due to a lot of the programs we've put in place. So we one, just by reaching out and doing the customer empathy interviews, our working moms felt, wow, people you know, really do care. And, and two, we got a lot of that feedback. We did surveys, we did one-on-one interviews. And the biggest piece of feedback we got was, thank you for just even asking or checking in with me to see how we're doing. So just showing that bit of empathy and, and you know, expressing to our working moms that we know how you're feeling and we know this is a struggle for you. But as a result, so we've upped our benefits. We've added supplemental sick time programs, family support time. We've implemented recharge days for the entire company. So next Wednesday, typically we have Thursday, Friday off in the U.S. for Thanksgiving. We are giving everyone Wednesday as well. And what we learned is, you know, people weren't taking these supplemental sick time and family time because they just felt I have too much work. And when I get back, it's even worse because everyone else is sending me emails and I just have to catch up. So this recharge day idea is to have the entire company take off. So when you come back, you don't have all that activity that was happening while you were out. So we actually are doing next Wednesday and then the entire last week of December, we're 
closing, at, we're offering, re, we're calling them recharge days. It's not a forced shutdown. Yeah, and and some some employees will still need to work if it's essential. But for the most part, the entire company is being given paid time off that entire last week. So some of those things we've also reminded reminded our working parents about our benefits, our other well-being benefits we offer, access to mindfulness sessions and different, you know, meditation options. We've had external speakers come in and do meditation sessions guided and had the entire company attend some of those. Yeah, so just between, you know, mental well-being, physical well-being, we made sure that everyone was physically supported in their work environment if they needed an extra lap, an extra monitor or a mouse or keyboard or what do you, you know what do you need to physically ergonomic assessments we were doing virtually for employees so making sure they had the right physical setup they were you know taking care of themselves mentally and then just the, the last piece we're still trying to conquer is additional support around this people feeling like they're always on and in meetings all day long and the Zoom fatigue is real. Yes. You know, people feeling like they're in Zoom. So just giving giving people permission to not have your camera on. If you need to be making lunch for your child while you're in a meeting, that's okay. Normalizing, having kids in your background coming and interrupting or saying, excuse me, my child needs me for a minute and making that okay from leaders role modeling that we have some uh, you know executives who have young kids at home and animals are walking through the screen family but it's okay because we're trying to normalize that and say this is life now and you shouldn't have to feel that pressure of i have to hide my family or don't come in and i can't talk to you right now so the, the biggest thing we hear from our parents is i'm trying to do it all and i'm failing at everything Yes. And that really breaks your heart when you hear, you know, I, I don't feel like I'm being a good mother. I don't feel like I'm being a good employee. I don't feel like I'm being a good wife. I don't feel like, you know, and I can't keep it all together. It's too much. So we are trying to do as much as we can to help alleviate some of that stress. That is awesome. I had a friend early in the pandemic and I was very frustrated having published a book and set up all these speaking things, which then, you know, proceeded to cascade as not happening, not happening, not happening. And somebody yeah. looked at me and said, Karen, we're in a pandemic. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. different. You need to change your standards. Yeah. And companies, it sounds like Intuit has done a really good job saying we need to reset the bar a little bit lower and let people be people. And so right. we can deal with where we are. So that way, that's really admirable. I'm totally impressed. You mentioned ERGs, employee resource groups. You said yeah. you had, I think you said you had 11 of them. We do have 11 employee resource groups. They've been around for a while. Over the last several years, we've really done a lot to refocus their efforts and energy. So our employee resource groups are a very important part of our DEI strategy. They're all grassroots, volunteer-led organizations. They join together based on a shared dimension of diversity or experience. And their main goal is to help build understanding, empathy, and capability for all of our employees and help us attract future talent, grow the business. We always say we have five primary roles our employee resource groups play and one is to create community especially now like we talk about the pandemic and you know you're we're, we are still at intuit primarily i would say 99 percent work from home we have opened some of our sites which have subsequently had to close but we're 
majority working from home right now. So, you know, having that community and creating connections is so important when you're sitting at your home by yourself all day. So what we're trying to do is day one, letting people know in their new hire orientation that we have employee resource groups and here's what they are and go sign up. And then imagine you sign up for our Christian network. And the next day someone calls you up and says, hi, I'm the leader of the Christian network. Here are some things we offer. And we have a, a Bible study every Friday. Why don't you come as my guest and we can go together. And then you've, you know, you've found your people from day one, the yes. women's network can say, hey, let's, you know, I have, we have this great leader speaker lined up. Why don't you come to that? And that way you're able to create those connections from day one, our, our African Ancestry Network, right from the beginning of the pandemic, they do it every other week, quarantine and Kahoot. So Kahoot is a trivia app. <laughs> I love it's, it. It's, honestly, I look forward to it. It's the meeting I look forward to most out of my week because it's just so much fun and a time to connect and have fun and let loose. So creating that community is really important. They also invest in professional development of their members. So our ERGs are sponsoring uh, conferences where we're a sponsor at Out and Equal, at Afrotech, at Disability Matters. So we're involved with a lot of, and, oh, cool. and as a result, we send a lot of employees to these conferences to learn and grow. We bring in a lot of speakers. We do internal leader speakers to really invest in professional development of our uh, ERG members. We also ask them to educate and advocate. So how do they help break stereotypes, share facts about their network? So Diwali just passed and we had our Indian network sharing, what does it mean? And what, what how do it? we celebrate? And created a Zoom background for everyone to use and you know for the, oh, the day. So yeah, really great to help educate people about customs, you know, different holidays, different experiences, and advocate. Our Pride Network is one of the best at advocating for, you know, hey, there's legislation that's happening that's going to adversely affect our community. You know, can we do something? Can we sign on to this amicus brief? Can we, you know, so real impacting real legislation and, and educating the company, even our CEO about what's happening and how it will affect our employees. And then lastly, we just ask them to, you know, community service, we care and give back is one of our values at Intuit. And we ask everyone to give back to the communities where they live and work. So our ERGs role model that a lot of them have signature organizations that they partner with uh -huh. and, yeah, you know, do things to volunteer in the community, you know, provide monetary support, whatever that looks like. So we've really over the last couple of years have, have evolved our ERGs, we used to call them employee networks, and they were really just social clubs. And I remember our, we have a Latinos network. And I remember when I first met with my Latino network leader, she said, you know, Lori, I really don't want to be known as the Cinco de Mayo network anymore. Like that's all we do is we have a Cinco de Mayo party and yes. you know, we want to have more impact to the business. So over the last two years, you know, all of our ERGs now have strategies, official strategies that they share with their executive sponsor and each other and they share with their members to say, here's what we want to accomplish this year. And sure enough, we launched a QuickBooks product in Mexico a year or so ago, and our Latinos network was right up front and center helping launch that product in that oh, perfect. market. So really oh, helping awesome. be a resource to the business and um, continue to focus on where they can add value. So yeah, we have, we're very proud of the work our ERGs have done over the last several years. Well, and it, when you, when you get people engaged in the community and they're doing what they love, 
they love you too as, as a part yeah. of that process. It's like, no, until it gives me time to go do this. In fact, yeah. they guess that we go do this and that's what we're doing today, right? So yeah, and that's the thing, you know, like I mentioned, they're voluntary roles. So we have each ERG has global leaders, and then at each site where you know where there's interest, there's site leaders. So you know, our ERG leadership team is over a hundred strong and it's all people who are just doing it because they're passionate about it. They get something personally out of it and they want to contribute and they want to help create a diverse, ethical and inclusive environment. So there, you know, it's, it's just great to see that, you know, and we're constantly having people apply and we have a formal process where it's not just anyone can, you know, we have to, we do an interview to make sure they're committed. So it's, um, it, it's great to see so many people passionate and wanting to take on these roles. Well, and I, I would say there's a lot of opportunities for personal growth, right? It's like, yeah. um, I don't have to put together strategies in my day job. And now you want me mm -hmm. to put together a strategy for this ERG? Okay, yeah, it's here we go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting you say that because that's one of the ways we promote it. We say, hey, you can learn some, you know, strategic planning skills, project management. You know, within our pride team, we had someone who was the is the program manager of the Ally program that they so you know having pro program management skills, financial responsibility because we do have some budget and they have to manage their budget, communication skills. So yeah, they learn a lot that they can take back to their quote unquote day job. Oh, wow. Well, you know, this is really amazing, Lori. I really appreciate you coming in and interviewing for the podcast. I can't wait to hear what the listeners have to say about this. Well, thanks for having me. This is great. And I love sharing all the, the great work that's being done across our company to, to help further our diversity efforts. You've just listened to the You Can't Fix What You Can't See podcast with host and author Karen Cornwell. If you enjoyed this podcast, share it with your friends and peers. If you know of a company doing amazing things to become more gender savvy, please drop us a line at the website youcan'tfixwhatyoucan'tsee.com. We are on the lookout for success stories to share with our listeners so their companies can become gender savvy.